You are listening to Ideas and Leaders podcast. I'm Elena Paventa, Executive Communication Coach and TEDx Organizer. With each episode, I'll share with you communication tips and ideas from top business leaders to help you excel in your career. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the new episode of Ideas and Leaders podcast. And today I have a special guest with me, Kit Ferrazzi. He is a number one New York Times bestselling author of his famous book, Never Eat Alone. He's also author of the books, Has Got Your Back, Living Without Authority. He's a global thought leader and chairman of Ferrazzi Greenlight. Hi, Kit. It is great to have you on the podcast. Lana, thank you very much for having me. It's such a pleasure, such a pleasure to have you here. I know that your books are amazing. And I know that also a new book is coming up, competing in the new world of work in 2022. So what can you tell us about this book, what it will be about? Well, maybe to share what it's about, I can share how we created it. Uh, At the peak of the pandemic, I recognized that we were walking into a massive possible inflection point for the transformation, not only of work, but of the world. And I wanted to make sure that we captured the essence of what will it mean to emerge from this pandemic and not just crawl back into old workways, but not go back to work, go forward to work. So I started a research initiative called Go Forward to Work out of our research institute. I run a company called Frazi Greenlight, and we transform organizations through transforming executive teams. So we work on the transformation of executive teams. And we focused this research originally with what would leadership look like differently coming out of the pandemic? What have we learned that uh, would be most impactful and important? Second thing we focused on is how are organizations reinventing their business models in this new world? How are we reinventing our workplace design, our workplace models in this new world? And what has the role of purpose been during all of this? And how do we lean on and reboot purpose in our organizations? So there's a very broad remit. And I had 2,000 executives working in focus groups funded by a ton of brands. We raised over $2 million of research for this book. And in one year of research, packed full, we were able to produce a product, which is this book which is how do you as a leader, whether it's of an entrepreneurial company or a leader inside of an organization, how do you as a leader help to transform your organization to leverage everything that's going on of best practices that the best of the best utilize the pandemic to reboot their organizations? And this has been extraordinary. The research has been extraordinary. We found organizations all over the world who had rethought the way they were working, the leadership competencies, They rethought their business models. And we've learned from all of those in this compendium of research. So if you want to push reboot and reinvent your business in a post-pandemic world, this is the resource guide. Wow, this is so interesting. So competing in the new world of work, your new book, when it will be available? I saw that it is already available on the pre-order on Amazon, right? Yeah. So what we're doing is we're offering the pre-order today. And in order to satiate your excitement and your desire to implement this, I'm going to be creating a video series. And you today, you'll be able to order the book. And then at the same time, from the website that we give you, we will send you the video series and an executive summary of the book that will allow you to implement the book today. And then when the book actually ships, 
which will be early in 2022, you will also get a hard copy of the book. So the opportunity is today to be able to start using this book and change your leadership and change your organization, utilizing the video series that you can download today, along with the executive summary, while you're waiting for the book, if you pre-order the book today. Wow, this is amazing. So generous of you. And for sure, we will share the link under our podcast episode so that our listeners can immediately click and order, exactly. pre-order the book and yeah. uh, dive into your video series. And uh, let's talk a little bit about your book. So I wanted to ask you, what is your vision of those organizations of the future? After you made all this research, you saw all those trends currently going on around the world. So what are the main characteristics yeah. of those organizations? organizations of the future? The book is divided into two sections. In the first half of the book, it's how we as leaders need to change our leadership in order to meet the pressures of the world today. Now, the one thing we've noticed is that in a world of crisis that we were in in 2020 and into 2021, we had to be radically adaptable for the radically volatile world we're in. So this methodology of radical adaptability, how do you make sure that your organization can pivot, can shift, can change, can constantly stay ahead of the curve, this became one of the core essence of what the great leadership is. And there's four attributes, four attributes of leadership that we need to dial up in this new radically volatile world to meet the pressures. Number one is foresight. Number two is inclusion. Uh, number three is agility. And number four is resilience. So I'm going to go through all, if you'd like me to, I can walk through each of those. Yes, absolutely. What we saw, number one is foresight. How do you make sure that you and your executive team, you and your team are always able to look around corners and foresee problems that are coming, foresee opportunities? The problem with the pandemic is it found us on our heels, reacting constantly. And what was interesting about that is even organizations that had presence in parts of the world like Asia, China, where they were suffering from the pandemic in February and in early March, we were still not reacting in other markets. So we had the information, but we weren't reacting to the risks associated with the pandemic. Very few organizations, we found a few, Lockheed Space was a wonderful one, where even the government that was directing their attention, even the corporate headquarters, Lockheed, that, was, that they were within, they were not recognizing the challenges and the risks, whereas Lockheed saw it coming down the pike in December, made assessments in January and February, and, and went full virtual in February way before anybody else did. Now, how did they do that? They did it by dispersing and crowdsourcing risk and opportunity into the organization. Most organizations rely on a division of an organization called strategy or the CISO, the risk organization, or the CEO themselves, they rely on a centralized source to have foresight, or they rely on a big strategic planning process that is cumbersome and periodic. What we need is constant attention to risks and opportunities. And this organization had dispersed those responsibilities into individuals. So my recommendation, a very simple implementation of this, is each of our teams need to assign individuals a risk and opportunity framework to look at the organization. So let's say your CFO has a financial risk and financial opportunity or a macroeconomic and macroeconomic risk and opportunity. 
your head of supply chain has a supply chain risk and opportunity. Your chief marketing officer has a customer one. The sales organization has a market competitive one, whatever it happens to be. And then on a monthly basis, you quickly ask the individuals, are there any risks or opportunities that deserve to be looked at by our organization? And they get a very short period of time to identify if something on their radar deserves to be on the team's radar. And then if the agreement is that yes, then you create a separate meeting to assess that risk or opportunity and decide whether that goes you know, to be tabled or into some form of scenario planning. If you do this, you will be constantly crowdsourcing, at least among your team, and you can do it among the organization as a whole. We've now been encouraging organizations to do foresight analysis among the entire company, where you can have a Zoom call with you know, hundreds, even thousands of individuals. You can call for risk or opportunity assessment, break people in the breakout rooms, open a Google Doc, have people write their thinking in there, bring that together and assess it over the next week. And now all of a sudden you'd be crowdsourcing foresight. And it's a very powerful tool. And frankly, very few organizations utilize that tool. Do you have any questions about that? Or do you want me to go on to the next yeah, area? That is that is really a powerful tool and I love it. I think that it is quite challenging though to assess all the risks right now because the environment is so volatile. Everything is changing so fast. So it is really important to, to do such. Exactly. In a radically volatile world, you need yeah. to be radically adaptable yeah. and creating a foresight process that's integrated into the organization is critical. Number two, agility. So we practiced during the pandemic something that I called crisis agile. What I mean by that is we were very agile. Organizations became very nimble because things were changing so radically. It became a part of an easy process to identify, okay, what's going on in the marketplace? What do we need to do? How do we need to adjust and adapt? What are we going to do for the next week? And we run and we do it for the next week. And then we stop and we're like, okay, what do we get done? Where are the problems? What do we do for the next week? So we were going on these agile sprints, on a weekly agile sprints. Some organizations like Delta Airlines, of course, because they lost 90% of their revenue, they went on daily sprints. What do we have to do daily, right? Now, this in a sprint is a negotiated set of work that you do and then you assess, and then you sprint and assess, you sprint and assess. That is agile. The problem with most organizations is we look out quarterly, not in these small weekly or, or every other week sprints. Organizations that look in smaller sprints of work, then at the end of those sprints have very transparent dialogues. What's working? What's not working? What's changed? Where do we need to go? Where are we failing? Where are we succeeding? To have very negotiated conversations at the end of each of those sprints, that allows us to constantly pivot and adjust, constantly pivot and adjust so that we stay focused on the North Star. You know, and that, what we found in this past year is everybody was agile, but now we need to sustain it. So moving from having this foresight of where we're going, but into these agile sprints and organizing all of your work around agile, there's an entire chapter just focused on that. Yeah, yeah. I know that there were some of the organizations that used this agility concept. So when you did your research, what did you observe? Did you observe that more organizations introduced this? Well, many organizations that were successful during the pandemic were ones that had introduced agile before. Now they've already had some training to it, and then they actually executed it more effectively. Many organizations had been talking about agile for a long time, Everybody went to some degree agile, whether they had a formal program or not. Those who had formal programs were more successful than those who did not. Those who did not were struggling with this new way of working, whereas those who had a formal program moved into it with greater ease. My point is 
Don't leave the crisis without sustaining and creating formal Agile programs. Unilever was one of the great organizations that had been already working with Agile. They used it well. Um, most organizations did crazy things they could never do before. You took an entire new product launch from what would normally be six months to three weeks, right? You know, General Motors started creating ventilators and they did it like, boom, like this. They could have never done that before. So now that we know we can, how do we make sure that we do? And that's where implementing this chapter of Agile in your organization be very powerful. The next area was inclusion, inclusion. Now, I use this word purposefully and it's confusing, but I refuse to get off of it. And I say why it's confusing. Because in 2020, we in the United States at least, we had a compounded challenge, the pandemic, and at the same time, an awakening of the Black Lives Matter movement. And the Black Lives Matter movement landing the power of diversity and inclusion as something that was critical in our businesses and critical in society. Well, when I think of diversity and inclusion, I think of what starts with making sure we have a diverse set of people in our organizations. And, and that's about not only about fairness and equality, but it's also about innovation, making sure that we have diverse voices in the decision-making process so that we're not just being the same old group of individuals creating decisions in the same old way, but we create diversity and inclusion in the dialogue. Now, the problem is we can fill our seats with diverse represented employees and then still not listen to people, right? So inclusion and belonging is how do we make sure that every voice is heard in the organization? Not just diverse voices, but all voices. There's a lot of organizations that only hear the voices of the leaders and they echo with themselves. And being able to implement a much more inclusive environment so we studied organizations that became radically inclusive and they used the tools of virtual and remote to really crowdsource ideas. So we actually, we have a model in the chapter of five layers of inclusiveness that an organization needs to go through. First of all, making sure that every meeting that you have voices are heard and that's putting on new tools in meetings, remote meetings, things like this. You use breakout rooms, you use the chat function. There's all these different tools and tips that make inclusivity in a room more effective than just hearing two or three voices all the time. And then as you go up the ladder of inclusiveness, you get to the point where I was mentioning earlier about foresight, crowdsourcing ideas through the whole organization, getting risk, getting opportunity, having organizations not just have town halls where you're speaking one way at an organization, but you're speaking two way, where the whole organization speaking back to you and giving you ideas and innovations. And by say the organizations, you can go external, you can bring clients and customers and, and vendors into the inclusiveness process. I saw a company called Lionel Basil that really rethought how they worked with their vendor community. Originally, it was because you know people were afraid that the vendor community would become financially insolvent. We had to make sure our vendors were successful and our supply chain was safe. But then over time, it was like, well, wait a second. Why aren't we working like this with our vendors all the time? Why aren't we creating real partnerships? So we did a lot of work around inclusion and making sure that we utilize the hybrid tools that are available to us to breed a, a significantly more inclusive work environment. Yeah. So what are some of the strategies that you observed, uh, how companies introduced this culture of inclusivity? Well, like I said, Lionel Basil did a beautiful job of including and co-creating with their vendor community. Unilever, again, did a beautiful job of crowdsourcing business planning. I'm working with a company today, Anaplan, which is a software for business planning, looking at how do we create continuous and crowdsource business planning instead of it just being the arbitration of a few 
executives in the organization, the CFO and the CEO, looking at Federal Express that decided to turn what they used to be as a, a one-way town hall to the world into a two-way, a very rich and robust dialogue, looking at crowdsourcing of new ideas down at the level of individual teams, as I mentioned, tips and tactics on how to create psychological safety. All of those things are listed in the book as a roadmap for being radically inclusive and therefore bolder and more innovative in your ideas. Wow. So we have foresight, agility, inclusion, and, and then the else? last one is resilience. Resilience. At the peak of the pandemic, we hit a fatigue level that was extraordinary. Leaders were in tears that were previously non-vulnerable leaders were in tears sharing their frustration, their fatigue, their mental well-being at risk, the loss of loved ones, the fear of parents. I mean, all of this going on, the stress associated with it was disproportionate. And it made us all awaken and aware that we own the mental well-being of our workforce. So our research began with Headspace and Weight Watchers and a few other organizations, a company called Lehigh Terrison. And we started to design how do leaders become significantly more attuned and aware of the need for mental well-being in the workplace, not only as a safety net to make sure that people, when they crash, are taken care of, but actually as an enabler of differentiation, as a tool for productivity. How do we make sure that the athlete of the corporate athlete has strong resilience in an organization? And how do we constantly build to that? Procter and Gamble made a big commitment that that is going to be one of the keystones to their future of their talent brand, that they are going to be an organization paying particular attention to mental well-being. So we're now on a journey, and we've developed a methodology, four-step methodology by which organizations can really focus on mental well-being, both from a leadership, awareness, and training and development perspective. I wrote an article in the Harvard Business Review. Let me see if I can find it here and get you the title. And just type my name, Keith Frazzi, in HBR, Seven Strategies to Build a More Resilient Team. And that, we've written probably about 15 pieces in HBR during this period of time. Harvard has been our partner in this research, an extraordinary partner. And we've been publishing there very regularly. So if you just type my name, Farazi, in Harvard Business Review, you can also go to goforwardtowork.com, goforwardtowork.com. And a lot of the research we've done, that we've published has been there as well. And um, I suspect uh, we'll be sending you a URL where you can download the executive summary and the videos for the books, et cetera. GoForwardToWork.com will also be a great place to go as a resource. But what we're focused on is how you lead your teams to be more resilient as well, right? How organizations provide better resources for employees. And then finally, how individuals create better routines as individuals for making their routines uh, more focused on their well-being. So resilience, we've done so much research in this area and how to bring that to your organizations as well. Yeah, so what are some of the strategies that we can use to boost the, to work on the resilience of our teams as uh, team leaders? How can we help our teams? Yep. So the best source of this would be immediately going to Harvard Business Review, seven strategies to build a more resilient team. There are four areas that are critical for a team to have. And I'll give you a quick diagnostic that we created is whether your team is likely to be a resilient team. Number one, does it have candor? Does it speak truth or does it keep things to itself? So the question I would ask is, is your team able to have open, honest dialogue and feedback with each other? If that's true, your team is likely to be more resilient. 
Second question is resourcefulness. When faced with challenges or problems, can your team pull together to build creative and effective solutions? Does your team, is your team resourceful? Does it jump on problems and create quick creative solutions for each other? So that's resourcefulness, compassion and empathy. Do your team members truly care for each other? And do they share their success and failures? This is probably one of the greatest precipitators of a resilient team. When someone's struggling, do they say so? We have a simple practice that we created called an energy check-in, where at the beginning of a meeting, you just ask everybody, go into chat and push zero to five, put a number in, where is your energy levels today? And if it's a three or above, you're fine. If it's a two or below, you stop and ask, Jane, is everything okay? She might say, I just had a bad night's sleep. Okay, great. Or she might say, my husband just got diagnosed with, you know, with needing a new kidney and our family is struggling. Now, giving that simple opportunity to create empathy and to create support and to create sharing and to create vulnerability is very important. And we often skip by that in this remote world. Those are the kind of conversations somebody would have had in a hallway or in a break room, et cetera. But now we need to involve those back into the room. So compassion and empathy in our role of creating that in organizations and teams. And the final is humility. Can your team ask for and accept help from each other? Can your team ask for and accept help from each other? It's a very interesting article, but what we found was that yes, you should provide resources like Headspace's meditation program. You can provide that for your people. You can recommend routines like taking walking meetings instead of being in your seat all day, et cetera. You can do that. But one of the most powerful and one of the most powerful areas is to build resilience into the team itself. Yeah, so we will definitely share the link to this article under the episode so that our listeners can dive in. It's so interesting. And I also wanted to ask you, in your book, uh, Never It Alone, and you repeat it all the time that relationships and collaboration is super important. Building relationships is so important. So now in the world of remote work, it is a bit more challenging. So for example, my husband recently started a new position at Deloitte. I know that you worked mm. at Deloitte as well. And uh, I was the chief marketing officer of Deloitte. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. So he started the new job. And then when he went to the office, he realized that 90% of the staff, they're working from home. So how to build relationships in this new environment when you don't have the access to people, how to start building those relationships and also how to keep on having those relationships with those people that you don't see anymore. Yes. So that is underlying. I can actually show you, I don't know if you're, I know that not all members who are going to be listening to this will have viewer access, but if you want me to, I am very happy to show a model of what this yeah. book looks like. May I share that? Yes, absolutely. And I'll just, and I'll quickly walk through it. So what we found, and this is each of these is a chapter in the book. What we found in our leadership, as I mentioned earlier, is the critical redesign of foresight, agility, inclusion, and resilience. But then what we did is we did a massive piece of research that I've actually started since 2011, which we funded as well, multi-million dollars worth of research on hybrid work. We've been studying this for many years now. So that is underpinning all of this. So for instance, when I talked about inclusion, we couldn't have the inclusion if it wasn't for hybrid work. 90% of people, as you mentioned, you know, working from home at Deloitte gives people an opportunity to have meetings with people all over the world that are equal, that you can have snapping your fingers and you can have 100 people in a meeting, 
break them into a breakout room of three, have them talk, open a shared document where they're adding information and answering questions together, come back into the main room. We have studied this so deeply, so deeply. And in fact, there's another website called coelevation.com where we have published a great deal of our research around remote and hybrid work, coelevation.com. And we can give you the link to that where you can see the white papers we've been creating around how do you truly do hybrid work more effectively in this new environment. Now, just for the sake of time, I want to make sure that the second half of the book, so everything I've just talked about is how you as a leader can lead differently and need to lead differently to step up and become the radically adaptable leader in this radically volatile world. What we then do is look at institutionally and saying, okay, how have you redesigned your workforce, which is what you were alluding to, Alana. How do you redesign your workforce in this new world? And how do we then rethink our business models in this new world? How does technology allow us to think differently? I mean, I just think about my company. Our business model focuses predominantly on coaching executive teams. So we coach teams like unicorn CEOs and their executive teams. We coach the Fortune 100 executive teams, but we also coach startups for equity. And in those conversations, we work with executive teams to transform the organization through transforming the executive team. Now, I sat back and I said, wow, what's going to disrupt me? And my business model is a solutions and services model. So I realized what could disrupt me at some point is AI and machine learning giving people tools while they're in meetings, scraping information from Zoom and other things to be able to give advice while meetings are occurring. We reboot the way meetings occur. What if we use technology to do that? So I actually created a separate division that is going to disrupt my own organization right now offering tools, but ultimately offering greater technology enablement to help teams be more successful that in the future would be my disruptor. So I am incubating new business models. If you're not in a business which is relying on AI and machine learning, you're not gonna be in business. You need to rely on these new tools and reinvent your business model for that. And ultimately, I think purpose, I'll just end with this. We as leaders, if we are asking so much of our people in a fatigued, fractured, challenged world that we're living in today, people have to bound out of bed for something more than a paycheck. And so what is your purpose? And how is it grounded, not just for you as a leader, and because you believe in it, it's your organization, but how does that purpose permeate the reason everybody gets out of bed? And how are we all showing up to change the world? That is so important in my, we had a number of faculty members in our research. One faculty member is a dear friend named Hubert Jolie, who used to be the CEO of Best Buy, and Hubert Jolie, as well as a wonderful woman who is the president of American Express, Susan Sobit, they really influenced me to help me rethink, how do I bring purpose to my own organization? How does that purpose truly infuse every single individual in my organization to give them resilience, right? To give them that energy to show up and to allow them to have the kind of culture in an organization that will be truly successful. So, I've not done this before. This is my first podcast and the new book. I'm thrilled about it. But in this last 30 minutes, we have walked through what we're promising, which is how can you reboot the way you lead? And how does that allow you to transform your organizations? Amazing, amazing. This is such an honor for us to have you speak about your new book on our podcast, Ideas and Leaders. So Keith, if our listeners, they want to pre-order your book, where can they go? How can they do it? Yeah, what we'll do actually is I'll have a landing page for you that you can go to. 
and you will be able to do everything from that landing page, which will show up right at the bottom of your screen right here. But ultimately, it will look like this. This is the new cover. I'm really thrilled competing in the new world of work. Yeah, this and looks I want great. To also, I want to tip my hat, though, to my co-authors. Kian Gohar is one of my dearest friends for many years. He was one of the leaders of Singularity University. This We could have never written this book without Kian. Kian helped me really think about the future. He's such a futurist. Help me think about the future that we're leading to so that as we were writing this book together, we were designing how do you get to that future on the back of this horrible crisis to make sure that we're using it as a way to catapult us forward. And then Noel Weirich, who is my co-author for my last book, Leading Without Authority, a brilliant man, a great writer, a great partner. He came along with me on the journey again this time and have just been thrilled with that writing relationship. So the stories are rich and robust. The methodology is clear. And I look forward to uh, sharing the videos and the summary now so that you can start working even before the book gets shipped to you. Perfect. So we will put all the links under this episode. If you're listening to us, if you're interested in this topic, then just go there, click the link, pre-order the book and dive into the videos. I'm sure that they will be very valuable. Thank you so much, Keith, for being on the podcast. It was such a pleasure talking to you. My pleasure, truly. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Ideas and Leaders podcast. Did you enjoy this episode? Let me know that you listen by tagging me in your LinkedIn profile and using a hashtag ideas and leaders. See you in the next episode.